Welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast. This is episode number 395, and our guest today is John Barklow from Sitka Gear. If you listen to other podcasts in the hunting and outdoor space, I'm sure you have either heard of John Barklow or have probably heard John Barklow on other podcasts. He's been on a ton of shows and for very good reason. He has a, a great level of experience and knowledge. And in the many years we've been doing this podcast, I've never spoken with John, um, never spoken with John, period, <laughs> whether for a podcast or otherwise. But as you'll hear, I kind of explain that after using some Sitka gear recently, I wanted to learn more about that. But more than pieces, more than Sitka gear, I wanted to learn from John because of his experience both with Sitka, but prior to Sitka gear. And as I have kind of casually observed John from afar, one thing I knew about him is that he um, readily and freely shares his knowledge. And I personally wanted to have an opportunity to speak with him and then to be able to share that conversation with you. I absolutely loved the conversation and how it turned out, and I'm excited about sharing it with you because I feel like we've covered some ground that um, goes pretty deep and pretty technical that in my experience will help you make more informed decisions, not only about gear purchasing, but about the use of your gear and just to be a more informed, better equipped hunter as you head into the backcountry. So that's what this episode is about. It's pretty wide ranging. We get into several different different technical topics. Um, and I'm sure there's something in here that you will learn from and take away to hopefully apply to your future experiences. As always, guys, we appreciate you tuning in. If you have any questions for us, just send an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com. And real quick, before we dive into this conversation with John, a few things were mentioned in this conversation that he couldn't quite talk about yet, but he kind of hinted at, and it's been several weeks since we recorded this conversation, and more of that information is public, so a new piece from Sitka called the Mountain Evo Jacket, for example, um, John's course that he talked about uh, is now available as well. So there's a couple things you'll hear him say, oh man, I wish there was more information or I could say, um, and we're now at a position where we can say, so check out the links in the show description, um, to learn more about some of those things that John mentions in this conversation. All right, let's dive right in. Here's John Barklow. Well, John, welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast. I'm excited to chat with you, man. Yeah, no, thanks for the invite. Um, I, I am excited. I've been excited for a couple of weeks to actually have this conversation. It's, uh, you know, I know that you've done a ton of podcasts. We've had our show since 2015, and it's kind of funny it's taken this long to to cross paths. But, you know, my experience with Sitka honestly goes back to like the early Mothwing days. Oh, yeah. And then hadn't used a bunch of Sitka pieces for quite a while and then kind of came back to it uh, within the last couple of years for some specific hunts. And then honestly, I got a, I got a chance to put my hands on a bunch of updated Sitka pieces that I just hadn't tried in a while for whatever reason mm -hmm. and was mm -hmm. at a friend's house and he has a closet full of Sitka. 
And uh, he's about my build and I was trying stuff on and I was like, man, the fit, like the fit was just killer for me. And I was looking at this mountain goat hunt I had in coastal Alaska and reconsidering more synthetics. And there's all these kind of things that came into play of, I'm going to try some Sitka stuff again. And uh, full disclosure for listeners. And as you well know, John, you and I haven't spoken. (laughs) Like it wasn't a sponsored deal. No, no we've never spoken. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it was just funny. Like I always like that in a way to like, I've been running stuff for over a year now and then get to almost like backfill my experience talking with you to, to learn more about it and stuff like that. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, the reality is that there's a lot of choices on the market nowadays. And, you know, if you're somebody that, you know, it sounds like you are that likes to to try different things, it, it might take a while to come back, you know, come back around to a brand or a few pieces. Cause I mean, there's more choices than ever now. Yeah. And I'm just... I'm the type of guy when I find something and I like it, I do like to tinker and try stuff, but at the same time, I'm also like, don't fix what's not broken type thing. Yeah. Um, you know, and just stick with stuff. So I'm curious, this is a, a super random place to start, John, but I made this comment in a podcast. We were talking about apparel. Someone asked at one point about like why Steve or I hadn't talked about soft shell pieces at all. Oh, okay. Okay. And yeah. For back for backpack hunting in particular. And I, I said like, this wasn't a premeditated comment, but I said soft shells are like the minivan of hunting clothing. And I didn't mean that like derogatory way. I just that soft shells can perform like in a wide variety of scenarios, but they don't necessarily excel at any one thing. And I was like, you know, mini, a minivan can like haul your kids to soccer practice and then you can go pick up lumber. Like they're cool. They're versatile. Um, they're just, you know, they don't do one thing ex- exceptionally well. And now, you know, we explained in that podcast, like for backpack hunting, the trade-off of like performance and weight, you know, a lot of times it, to me didn't make sense, but again, random place to start. I said that comment in passing, totally forgot about it. And I've gotten so many like, why did you say that about soft shells? I think they're cool. They're just to have a certain application. I'm curious from like your, your very technical <laughs> perspective, like what are your thoughts on, on that? Uh, yeah. So we're going to start here. Okay. Let's get into it. Um, I've got lots of I've got lots of comments. Uh, you know, I could start out by saying that soft shell or talking jackets. I'm I'm guessing, yes, yes, right? Correct. Yeah. So specifically, soft shell jackets takes me back to you know backcountry skiing in the Sierras when it was still socially acceptable to wear base layer bottoms with shorts over top of it. Um, you know, this is like 1990s era technology in some regard. Um, and, and I'm joking a little bit, but I would say that I, I agree with your comment. Soft shells, they've fallen out of favor just because there's been so many other advances in technology in textiles and and how those are assembled into clothing. Um, but I do think that there is still a place for soft shell. And, and maybe I should apply my own definition of soft shell so that we're not, so that we're super clear and we're not kind of confusing the two. So, yeah, I would love, and what, by the way, John, you, when I ask you to comment, I'm neither asking you to support or disagree. I'm just like, I want to learn. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I think it's, I think it's an awesome, it, it's not, it's not often talked about, right? I mean, we can, we, I'm sure we can rattle off the top three things that most people want to talk about. But uh, <laughs> my, my definition of soft shells is one that does not have any kind of laminate in it. Mm. So, you know, your traditional think soft shell pair of pants, 
made into a jacket um, with some camo on it, right? Or a hood for backcountry skiing or something like that, where it's it's a tight knit. It you know it blocks a good a bit of wind, uh, breeze okay, pretty durable, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I think those are the ones that that have kind of fallen out of favor a bit. And you know, Mark, I'm not exactly sure when this podcast is gonna you know drop but I, i've actually got a depending <laughs> on your definition a, a, a new soft shell jacket um <laughs> that's going to hit the market in the next uh you know f- few few weeks maybe a month or so but but what i don't consider soft shell personally is something with a laminate so you know with sitka that that laminate is windstopper okay. and l- let me let me just take a a, a slightly step back and just take a slightly um, broader view of this. Yeah. Um, I think that one of the, one of the things that people don't understand that could absolutely help them maybe get better performance out of their clothing and maybe have a more comfortable, entertaining experience outdoors is to understand how the body loses heat. And so one of those ways is through convective heat loss, which is simply wind blowing across your body and stripping more body heat away than would otherwise be lost if it was calm outside. So oftentimes with that known, um, everything from a simple wind shirt. So that could be something that's, you know, eight ounces and balls up into your hand that just blocks the wind and is as minimalist as you could get to some type of full, fully featured wind stopper type jacket with, you know, maybe even a fleece on the inside. So, you know, think like jet stream jacket. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think any of those things are what I call force multipliers because they allow you to block the wind without the penalty of bulk. Uh, oftentimes just blocking the wind is enough to warm up and they are acceptably durable, acceptably quiet and perform at such a level that oftentimes if it starts to you know, have a light rain or a light drizzle that you don't have to stop and put on a rain jacket. Um, understanding that you really want the rain jacket as insurance when it's just incessant precipitation. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think non, non laminated, uh, wind stop or, uh, soft shell jackets are kind of falling out of favor. Although I do think they have a place, but for the ounce counting backcountry hunter, like I get it. I understand why, you know, we're going to leave everything behind and that rain jacket will double for a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what people could look at, and, and it's part of what I call my eight piece clothing system is some type of wind blocking barrier. So be it, like I said, just a simple wind shirt, which is maybe a coated nylon that probably doesn't breathe super well, but it's also, you know, zero bulk in your pack. Um, to something maybe that I'm going to be, you know, launching here in a couple of weeks to, you know, maybe more of a fully featured, um, windstopper jacket. That's where I think technology has gone. And I think that's where people could find some benefit. Um, I think a lot of people just scratch their head and go, yeah, I don't really see the point of just this soft shell jacket when, you know, there's so many other things like a hard face fleece and rain gear that's super lightweight, you know, that you could maybe combine now and get the same type of performance. Um, but, the, but there's a, there's a little bit more to that, but yeah, mm-hmm. so that's, that's kind of my, that's kind of my overarching long winded answer about soft shells. Yeah, no, it's good. I mean, and that's where 
again, like my comment came from in the in the context of like an extended backpack hunt where you are counting ounces and you know repurposing, like you said, potentially your rain jacket has a windbreak if needed. And there's yep. been there's been like I can remember one day specifically, and it was after I made this comment hunting Kodiak Island. Oh yeah, and I was I was with a group of guys, two of which had soft shells. I didn't. And it was like, this is the day for a soft shell. It was cold. It was very windy. It was a wet snow. Um, like it would have been great. We ended up kind of still hunting. So something quieter than a rain jacket would have been better. Right. Um, and so they have, like, I've seen that they have a place and um, I've tried the updated jet stream. And it's, it's a phenomenal piece that I've actually been wearing a lot, even outside of hunting. So I was just curious, like to me, it's like they have their place. I was just from that backpack hunting perspective, like wondering, yeah, what, cause again, I'm just, I'm just here to learn. <laughs> that was a, that was a comment I made in passing that somewhat yeah. triggered some response. Well, like anything, there's, there's nuance and you have to take into consideration, you know, the style that somebody hunts in. So if you're, you know, a, a minimalist and you're a backpack hunter and you need to cut every ounce and, and, and certainly depending on the environment you go in, um, you know, your experience level, there's a lot of things that, that kind of factor into that. Um, you know, I've, 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 I've gotten the question quite a few times and interestingly enough from people going on, say like a mountain goat hunt in one of these coastal areas where, you know, most of the time these are archery hunters and you're like, how are you possibly able to stock in close on an animal like that wearing rain gear because it's loud. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my simple answer is, you know, depending on how much it's raining, um, I don't, you know, if you have a pair of soft shell pants as an example that, you know, can dry quickly and you have a soft shell jacket with sometime a membrane in there. So it, it'll block that precipitation in the wind, but it's acceptably quiet. I'm like, that's what I end up stalking in close to archery hunt these animals in um so again it you know it just there's so many nuances and again there's so many choices that you know i think as an industry you know i'll just group all this into the hunting industry i i think we've made it more complicated than it needs to be really mm -hmm. that great segue <laughs> <laughs> i wanted to ask you and you didn't necessarily know this when you said that it seems to me and Again, I'm outside perspective of Sitka, like just casually observing things. It seems like the kind of the big game line has been a bit simplified and consolidated maybe in the last handful of years. Is that kind of accurate or is that me just making a, an accurate uh, observation? I, I don't think I would use the word simplified, but you are very perceptive. Yes. And and you can you can either blame me or give me all the credit, um, <laughs> which, whichever whichever you'd like. So I've been at Sitka a little over eight years now. And, you know, when I stepped in there were, you know, we, we pride ourselves on specialization um, and, and we're going to continue to do that. But I think one of the things that I saw was maybe specialization for the sake of specialization, all that did was confuse the consumer. And so you'd get the constant question, you know, at these consumer shows, like we were talking about in the beginning about what do I need? Just tell me what I need. Just tell me what I need. And, you know, you and I, I'm sure that if we decided to go on a, you know, a mountain goat hunt in coastal British Columbia, 
um, you and I could probably right away in our minds, we're probably already thinking about the clothing system we're going to put together because, you know, there's, there's things that we just are tried and true and we know them and, and they, and they work. Um, and, and so, you know, some of that was just from a business standpoint, either technology was old or we couldn't get that technology anymore. And so just by default, it, it, uh, it took itself out of the mix or I took things out of the mix because I wasn't happy with the performance and I knew we could do better. And then slowly over time, you're starting to see some of these things come back, which I think in the next few years, you'll see some of those come back. Um, but I also think that it was just causing a lot of confusion. I would say that some of the things we did were almost ahead of their time and the the hunting consumer just wasn't ready for some of those. So I, I, I you're correct. I did I did take them away, I would say more for efficiency um, than simplicity, but, but simplicity was definitely a part of, of that uh, equation. Hmm. I don't know how to phrase this question, but can you talk more about like specialization and then even a piece you talked about there of like really customer education, maybe on like two fronts, one, the, the value of special specialization Mm-hmm. But then also on the flip side of that, and this is probably a larger topic, is helping the customer understand um, not only the intention of a single piece, but making sure that there's not a misapplication. Yeah. Perhaps when combining pieces, for example, if that makes sense. So I know that's not a direct question, but yeah, anything along those lines, I want to learn from you. Yeah. So just, just let me say, Mark, that you know, you and I have never talked together, but I'm already enjoying the heck out of this conversation. So thank you for these questions. <laughs> um, so there's a, there's a couple things. And I think you started out by, by talking about, um, did you say technology or, or something along that, that lines before the education component? Yeah. I mean, I, I was somewhat curious when you, when you said earlier, um, not simple per se, Yeah, talking about the second line, yeah. but specialized. So like what, Yeah. why that, like, what's the value there? what's the play? And I don't mean from a business case, but like maybe, yeah, but as you but have from a hunting changed, standpoint. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, big game hunting. So, you know, I, I, when I have this discussion with certain people, I'm like, well, define what you mean by that. And, and really to me, big game hunting is essentially going into the mountains or going to the back country with a pack on your back and trying to kind of live out of that pack with the sole intent of finding an animal and killing it right but if you took the the gun out of the person's hand and put a fly rod or took the fly rod out of their hand or put a camera i mean a lot of it's backpacking right so really what you're trying to do is you're trying to create clothing systems that work very well together that manage moisture that manage body heat that perform to a level that you know if you were to get them wet through whatever means, be it sweat, rain, falling in a creek, whatever, you know, can dry, um, you know, and keep that person out there focused so they can do whatever job they they want to do. Um, you know, that's not at a high level specialization. But now I say, oh, we're going to go into Colorado and we're going to go on an, a backpack archery hunt for mule deer okay, so is what do I need to specialize in? What, what needs to be specialized? Well, at that point, really where you need to start 
to get some specialization is what we'll call outerwear, right? So if you're going to hunt in the rain in the Pacific Northwest, maybe you need quiet rain gear. If you're going to do the mule deer hunt in Colorado, maybe you need soft shell pants and, and some type of top that's, you know, deadly quiet. So you can slip in and get a close shot. Um, if you're the tree stand hunter in Iowa, you need something that's going to keep you warm during the rut, but also is crazy quiet with certain features for access. That's going to allow you to draw back in cold weather, uh, and get a shot. So have, you know, range of motion and quietness. So you can get a shot on a white tailed deer that's 10 yards away. So, you know, some of the, some of the, and, and that's really, I mean, some of that's textile, a lot of it's design, but, um, not everything has to be specialized. Now that's not to say everything isn't technical, but not everything has to be super specialized. Um, you know, I've got something coming out this fall for specifically, you know, that, that archery hunter and getting in close and quiet and durability and trying to figure out that oil water mix. Um, you know, that's kind of a specialized piece, but there's also just some great rock solid pieces that you could almost do anything in. Um, the education component and that that's part of the, and please interrupt me at any time, but th that that's the part that, and I'm so glad you asked it because, you know, and I don't use this word necessarily lightly, but that's kind of become my crusade is educating the, the hunting consumer to get the most, we'll call it bang for their buck, right? The most return on their investment for these apparel pieces that they're putting together and the analogy I use, and I don't know if it's a good one or not, but you know, your, your kid turns 16 and you've been promising them the day he turns 16 and gets his license, you'll let him drive your Porsche. And so he jumps in, he grinds his way into third gear and he gets the car going 60 miles an hour. And he just has the biggest smile on his face because he's never really had that type of performance before and you're like great then you get behind the wheel and you smoothly run through the gears all the way up to sixth and you go 120 miles an hour and you show him what that car is truly capable of and he goes oh my gosh now i get it right now i understand and so the only way you get there is with education and i think what's lacking holistically in the hunting market is the education to use this gear. There's tons of people sh teaching you how to shoot a rifle and shoot a bow, but you know, is anybody teaching you how to wear this gear and survive and like truly like from a uh, brand agnostic standpoint saying, these are the eight pieces you should be looking at. Here's the performance you should at least consider. These are the, this is what this technology can truly do for you. And this is why it costs what it costs. Um, I think if we do that, not only will we all probably, uh, you know, have better sales to me, that's, I don't even care about that, to be honest with you. But I think what you're going to find is people are going to understand these investments that they're making in clothing. They're going to have a better experience and selfishly on the back end, I'm going to be able with my team to continue to push technology that right now. I'm not sure the market's ready for some of the things that we've come up with. And so I've got to keep them on the shelf because either they're not going to be understood yet or the cost associated with that advance in technology is just 
is just too big a leap at the moment. So there's a multi-pronged answer there, but I think the education component is huge because depending on the layer of the clothing system you're talking about, I would say that we'll call it technology has either has either topped out or is close to, or the next leap is so big that we can't get there yet. Um, now, things like insulations, I think there's still a lot we can do there, but unless we bring the consumer along and get them up to current state, we're not going to be able to take those next big leaps because they're not either going to want to spend the money or they're not going to understand that you can go 120 miles an hour with that system and they're just going to go 60 and they're like, eh, it's not really worth it. It's not really much better than what I've got. Mm. Yeah. I always make notes for a podcast, don't always follow them, but let me just read one thing I wrote down because it's actually, I think, uh, a great place to put this question. So I said, when it comes to system or layering, how the components work together is critical to the performance of the whole. Mm, The misapplication of great clothing can lead to poor results. So what are the common mistakes or misunderstandings that you see as it relates to pairing pieces or layers together, which create less than ideal performance? So I think we just kind of hinted at some of that, but like maybe get a little bit more specific on maybe common mistakes, examples you see that, hey, here's some great pieces, but this application, this scenario is giving you some less than ideal results. Okay, pull me out of the rabbit hole if I go too deep. All right, bring it. Um, So when you look at a technical clothing system, modern day technical hunting clothing system, um, the, the whole intent of that system is to manage moisture and to manage body heat. So the moisture comes from two ways. It either comes from the inside out in the form of sweat or it comes from the outside in in the form of, say, rain or snow. Uh, And then the other thing is we need to be able to manage body heat, right? So either be able to dump that heat to cool off or to trap that heat to warm up. I mean, really, at the end of the day, that's that's all all any of this is intended to do. You know, put specialization, camo, and all that aside. Um, So it's really not that difficult. So if you continue to go back to those are the two things it's trying to solve, then you want to try to select. And, you know, I mean, obviously I I work for Sitka and I think we do it better than most. I mean, we're the original systems-based company, but, you know, there's a lot of people out there, uh, you know, doing things okay, but the consumer doesn't know where to start. And so, you know, I think that you have to, I think we have to break it down and say, the base layer is a foundation of a system. And I think this is the single biggest mistake people make is they dismiss or overlook what a base layer is. And so the base layer is the foundation of your clothing system, just like the the the, the footing is the foundation of your house. And so anything you build upon that base layer is going to perform better or worse, depending on how that, you know, which base layer you choose. And so people will say, well, I've only got so much money. I really want to get into technical clothing. Uh, you know, where do I start? They do not want me to say buy a base layer top and bottom. You know, they don't want me to say buy long underwear. Um, they want me to say buy a jacket, buy a pair of pants. And so I asked them, I was like, well, what do you have for base layer? Depending on that answer uh, from them, my answer back to them may be, well, you you have to buy a base layer. So it that base layer, the entire point of that is not warmth 
the entire point of that, I mean, warmth is associated, but really the entire point of that is to manage moisture on your skin. So if the base layer pulls moisture off your skin in a hot environment, you're going to cool off, which you want. It's going to pull moisture off your skin in, in a cold environment where you have other clothing on there. It's going to allow your skin to stay dry. And when your skin's dry and that clothing layer directly on top of it's dry, your body has a much better way of thermoregulating itself, right? So you're going to, you're going to feel comfortable. You're going to feel warm. Um, that's the single biggest thing. I Years ago, I was in Ohio whitetail hunting. I know this backcountry podcast, but I think it frames up the conversation. And this guy had a brand new set of our Stratus clothing. So it's fleece lined, windstopper, dead quiet, built for whitetail hunting. And he said, hey, I got this stuff. He knew I worked for Sitka. So I kind of walked him through it. And it was my fault, but that's all we talked about is that one particular layer. Uh, he went out the next day. We all went out the next day. I got back to camp about 10. He was already back. I'm like, oh, maybe, you know, he killed a deer. I said, hey, how'd it go? And he said, your stuff sucks. It didn't work. I froze and I had to walk back. And I'm like, geez, like <clears throat> not the answer I was expecting. <laughs> well, come to find out this guy was new to technical clothing and what he had underneath that stratus system when he walked to the tree stand was a cotton t-shirt, a pair of cotton briefs, and I think he had a flannel and blue jeans underneath. And then he put this technical clothing system over top. Well, as he walked to the tree stand, he generated sweat. That cotton absorbed water. It didn't give it up readily. It was next to his skin. He was chilled. Of course, he blamed the technical clothing. So when we look at a system, it's got to be built holistically. Uh, so when I design a piece of gear, so we, you know, you talked about the ambient uh, at one point and um, I listened to that podcast and, you know, when I designed the ambient, I said, okay, great. This is a cool technology. I think we can use this. I think it has a place, but I couldn't look at that one piece in isolation because if it, it if it didn't fit into the system, then one of two things had to happen. Either it it had to go away um, or I had to change, you know, potentially change the system if I thought it was so great that it would integrate seamlessly. Uh, but something, you know, something had to be, had to change because you don't wear pieces in isolation, you wear a clothing system. And so when you build a system, or you build a new piece and you integrate it into a system, you have to test it as a system. Um, and again, does it manage moisture? Does it trap or, you know, manage body heat? Um, so I, th I think the biggest, I think the biggest drawback is, or a uh, mistake is choosing the wrong base layer, integrating cotton into the system or some type of compression garment uh, in a cold weather environment. And then the second biggest mistake is, I think that quite people, quite frankly, people take, you know, my word for it or your word for it or a brand's word for it and don't go out and try the system themselves to make sure that it meets their expectations. Cause everybody's going to have slightly different expectations and they're going to use it a little differently. Hmm. You just, you said something there about compression and I wanted to ask at some point, like how does fit affect function? So I mentioned earlier, like when I tried Sitka a couple of years ago at a friend's house, I was really impressed with the fit. And that was just like, hey, this fits my build well. Mm -hmm. 
but I think for certain pieces, fit can play a role in achieving the actual maximum performance of the intended function of a piece. Yeah. But I don't, I don't know that I fully understand that you're the expert, not me. So can you riff on that? Like how fit can actually affect performance, not just go, yeah, this pairs with my body well. Yeah, no, it can absolutely affect performance. It's, it's certainly not something that's talked about, you know, again, go back to managing moisture and, and managing body heat. So, you know, base layers should be, they should be form fit. They shouldn't be a compression fit, but the reason you want a base layer form fit is because you want it to pull that moisture off your skin. And so the more direct contact you have of that base layer with your, with your body, the more efficient it's going to work. Um, when we talk about insulated layers, we want an insulation layer like a puffy jacket. You know, when I stop at a break, I want to just pull that puffy jacket out of my pack and I want to put it directly over top of everything at the top of the ridge, right? I don't want to have to take something off to put something on because I'm going to be dumping body heat that I generated that I can use to my advantage to dry my system out and stay warm and focused. So I don't want that layer to be uh, very tight. But if it's so big that there's so much dead air in there that my body heat isn't efficiently warming up that dead air and and trapping it efficiently because it's escaping because the jacket doesn't fit correctly and it's too big and, and bellowy, um, then it's not going to be efficient and I'm going to dump a bunch of heat. So, you know, the, the a question I'm often asked is, as an example, uh, I'm a large do I buy a large in every single layer? And, you know, the my, my answer back is yes. Now there are some expect, you know, some, some uh, variations of that. So, you know, I kind of run, I'm right on the cusp. I'm a tweener between a large and an XL. So depending on the garment, this and that. And of course I got lots and lots of different um, uh, things to choose from. Right. So, I, I can kind of go back and forth on a few different tops, but generally speaking, if, if, a, if a, like a Sitka, when we build a system, we, we, you know, we have a standard mannequin with a standard size that the large goes on. And when we build the system, we build those pieces specifically to do certain jobs at a certain level within or layer within the system. And so we size it that way. So somebody says, man, you know, I'm a large, but is that puffy jacket going to be big enough? And it's like, well, we we built the puffy jacket to perform just like I mentioned to you, to go over everything, to to be big enough to trap, you know, to go over product and trap body heat, but not be so big it dumps it. Um, so, you know, if the brand's doing their their job, they're building those specific layers to do specific things within a system, and they're sizing them appropriately um, to kind of do that, right? So... Uh, you know, then there's little nuances. Like if I'm running a wind shirt, I like to have a wind shirt that's, that's kind of not tight by any means, but like, I don't like a billowy wind shirt. I just want it super streamlined. And if it is, and I find I get better breathability through that. Right. But those are just kind of nuances you build over time that those are just little particulars you have, um, stylistically, but, but yeah, fit, fit plays a big role if you're trying to get the most from that investment that you've, that you've bought. Yeah. Cool. You mentioned the ambient, which is a piece I want to talk to you about. Um, I've worn it 
I, I wore it all a bit, literally on every hunt last year and I mm-hmm. wear it multiple times a week right now, hiking, trail running, all kinds of stuff. And I really liked it. Um, I feel like it's a piece that needs to be understood a little bit more, like why it has benefits. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, like you throw out the term active insulation and that can, it could be a very technical accurate term. And I feel like it is for the ambient or that could just be like marketing, like, Oh, it's just a lighter weight puffy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. The, and I tried to explain this in a podcast, which I sent to you. Yeah. This segment where I answered this question about, Hey, here's why the ambient is different than other types of insulations. For example, one, explain that. And then two, I'm curious Again, I want to learn, correct anything I said in that specific segment that you're just like, what's he talking about? Or, you know, it's actually like this, but talk about why the ambient's different, perhaps, yeah. um, and the role it plays. And again, if there was anything that stood out from that segment I sent you, I'd love to learn from it. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a huge fan of what's called active insulation. And it's a term that, that I absolutely use. And, and one of the reasons I use it is to make sure that we understand what we're talking about because active insulation is different than what I call static insulation. And so the name should imply in some regard what it's intended for. So active insulation is insulation you put on your body when you're doing something active, when you're moving. And so really what you want to get in active insulation is you want that warmth, you need that warmth, you can't just run around in a base layer, but you're active enough that again, you have to manage moisture, you have to manage body heat. So I need that garment, active insulation to move moisture, to pull it off my skin, to pull it from that base layer next to my skin away into the atmosphere. But I also need it to trap just enough warmth that I can continue to move at a, you know, whatever pace feels comfortable to me um, and not have to move so fast to generate body heat that I'm going to wear myself out. So active insulation, it's most basic is kind of like a heavyweight fleece, right? Um, that's what people are, are kind of used to. They put on a little fleece, like a grid fleece. It gives them just enough warmth, but there's really nothing to stop it from, you know, letting moisture out. Um, the ambient is what I call, you know, not, not to confuse it, but what I call active hybrid insulation. And and what I mean by that is there is a, a very technical fleece on the inside, which is the, the this Primaloft product called Evolve Insulation, um, which is different than the Alpha. Uh, we can circle back on that, please. Uh, but then what we did is we just put a very lightweight, high breathable face on that garment that does a couple things. One, it, it just makes it more adaptable. So uh, it makes it a little more durable than just standard fleece. Uh, it makes it uh, hold up to light precipitation a little better because it's got a DWR coating on it, durable water repellent coating on it. And it blocks just a little wind, but it also slows just a little bit of heat coming through. So it's this hybrid between dare I say, a bit of a soft shell type face, although probably different than most people would consider a soft shell, with this very technical fleece on the inside. 
And the nice thing is the face also allows it to integrate seamlessly from an outerwear piece, say in, in when you're moving or in milder temperatures, to become a mid-layer piece where you can layer over top of it. And that face allows those layers to move uh, with less friction to provide good freedom of movement. So that's kind of what active insulation is, whereas static insulation is what we consider puffies. It's a totally different type of insulation. The whole intent of that is to stand around when you're static and be as stingy as possible with that body heat so it doesn't escape the system. So you can dry out your base layer, you can stay warm, you know, you can fuel your body and you can trap that body heat. I think where, you know, where the confusions come in and I, I won't mention because I never do any other brands, but I think that there's some brands out there that have no idea what active insulation actually is. And the reason I can say that is because I've looked at their products and their products are not built like active insulation. Their products are actually built like a very lightweight, maybe even midweight static insulation piece. Um, now what you said in the podcast, which I listened to, uh, I think you're spot on. I don't think anything you said was incorrect. It didn't make me pause. It, you know, it didn't, I, I think you were, I think you've got a f full grasp of, of what it is and how to use it. Can you circle back to mentioning alpha? Yeah. So interestingly enough, uh, little known fact. So I was in the military for a long time, uh, 26 years and I, I can't tell you I, I, I mean, I don't remember when now, but let's just say, I mean, I'm just going to throw a number out. Let's just say 2008, right? Something like that, uh, where Polar Tech came to us and said, hey, we've got this this new insulation. We want you to look at it. And uh, the, the team I was on in special operations, we actually were the first people to adopt alpha insulation into really... Uh, in my opinion, the first active hybrid insulation piece in, in the world. Um, that might be a little bit of a bold statement, but we are certainly the ones to bring that insulation from, from, from Polar Tech into the, into the market. And then from there, uh, Polar Tech was able to commercialize that into the general outdoor space. And, and what you have now is what's called Polar Tech Alpha. I'm not even sure it was called that at the time. I just honestly can't remember. Um, so I think in that podcast I listened to, one of the questions uh, one of the guys had was, you know, Alpha seems very similar to Evolve. And he's not wrong. And it's, you know, from the consumer standpoint, just looking at it on the shelf, it's not, it's not perceivably different. But not to go super, super deep, but those types of insulation, which uh, might might be might be somewhat accurate to call like a sliver knit type. Um, the alpha is generally just one yarn size and one yarn length. So the 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 fibers that you see on the alpha, they're going to be the same uh, diameter and they're going to be the same length so let's just say like somebody buzz cut your hair right all your hair is generally the same same diameter and we just cut it off at the same length great so it works and it traps that little bit of heat and those fingers unlike grid fleece those fingers those little fibers 
they actually act like imagine they're not exactly but just imagine them as like little conduits for moisture to travel up and then on the face surface where they can dissipate to the outside atmosphere right so those fingers provide a, a, a an avenue for that moisture and also provide surface area um what evolve does is evolve has different diameter fibers and different lengths and so you know they like to say it mimics animal fur i'm not i'm not the animal fur expert but um what we found is that it performs just a little better managing moisture it performs just a little better managing body heat um, because with those different diameters and those different lengths it traps a little air here but not as much air there it moves moisture a little quicker here but not as much there and so generally i think you just get a little bit higher uh higher performance but at the end of the day uh, you know, we we had some products in Alpha in our military line. Uh, you know, I don't think you can go wrong with each, but I think the Primaloft Evolve is kind of the next step of of what these active hybrid insulations are. Hmm. I told you I'm long-winded. I'm sorry. No, it's good. It's good, man. <laughs> I'm curious from, this is a, I know this is an unfair question because there's always variables, but for people who are like new to either the ambient or potentially even like an, a true active insulation piece or like this active hybrid. Yep. Can you like riff on what you would say would be some use cases in terms of uh, activity and temperature range where this piece would perform well? Yeah. So I, I think it's going to depend on the weight of insulation, but let's take the ambient hoodie at a hundred grams of insulation. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's, you know, maybe that's the one that you've been using. That's certainly yeah. the one that I use quite a bit. So I, I generally have an ambient hoodie in my pack almost year round. Um, now in spring as an example, so, you know, we're coming up, well, let's just start in winter cause we're in winter right now. So in winter I'm wearing that ambient hoodie maybe directly over top of a of a base layer and or maybe i have a base layer a thin wind stopper vest to protect my core because it's maybe a little windy out uh and then the ambient hoodie so that's what i'm using to move in right so i want to move i want to move and stay what i'm call comfortably cool right i don't want to overheat the system so i want to wear just enough to keep to keep uh manage my body heat and manage moisture, but not overheat. So in the winter, that's what I would do. And then I'd stop and maybe I'd throw a puffy jacket over top of that. Or maybe when I got to the top of the ridge and I was going to ski down, I would just throw a rain jacket over top of that. Um, so that's kind of a winter thing. So now let's transition, say, into uh, black bear season in the spring. So last year, I was on a four or five day black bear hunt in northwest Montana. And I had a base layer. I had an ambient hoodie, and then I had this new piece that's coming out in a few months. And let's just you know tease it out and say it's a light, it's a lightweight wind stopper. Um, depending on the day, I wore that ambient every single day. But depending on the day, I wore it in slightly different combinations. So if it was cold and windy, and I knew it was going to be windy all day. I'd have the base layer. I'd put this light wind stopper piece on directly over the base layer, and we can circle back on that. And then I have the ambient over top. 
um, because I knew that moving during the day, I might warm up and maybe the ambient would come off, but it was so windy. I was always going to have the wind stopper on. So I wanted to layer in such a way that I didn't have to take something off to put something back on. But then in other days, it was light precipitation, light rain, foggy, snowy, but I didn't want to wear rain gear because rain gear, no matter what any of us say, doesn't breathe adequately enough. We'd always have to manage our pace to manage moisture. Um, that I would put this windstopper piece on the outside to protect, so to speak, uh, the ambient so that that moisture wouldn't penetrate through. So I just mix and match those pieces. So that's kind of a spring piece. In summer, eh, depending on what I'm doing and when I'm doing it and what elevation, I probably have that as my active insulation piece and I'm bringing a static insulated vest. And so I'm going to wear those two in tandem and I'm not going to bring a true puffy because I'm just going to run that combination. And I like the versatility of the two pieces. And then as we start getting back into winter, I'm going to have that ambient, but now I'm just going to go back to a windstopper piece. Um, and, and it just stays in my pack kind of year round, but the way I'm using it, I'm using it to manage the same problem. I'm using it in different combinations to manage that problem, depending on the environment. So mm. it was that too complicated. Did I uh, did did I answer that for you? All right. Yeah, it's good. I'm um, I've done some similar things, but uh, I want to say unscientifically, just out of like my own experience on trying to layer effectively mm-hmm. that I'm curious about. So I've I've used the ambient. Um, you know, obviously, it sounds like you're coming out with a piece here, but I've used the ambient in combination with like a Patagonia uh, Patagonia Houdini absolutely i love that piece yeah that, so that's that's one of my favorite wind shirts yeah okay and so you mentioned the layering order and i've done what you've said of having it below the ambient and mm-hmm. external to the ambient based on different conditions such as like you know precip protection external yep yep, yep. can you talk about the other reasons you like, like let me, let's start here from a pure like wind perspective does the position of something like the Houdini or this other piece you're talking about matter? Does it matter like the order in the system? From a purely wind perspective, no. Okay. So is the only decision on where to put that then based on the convenience of layering, such as like, hey, I'm going to be taking the ambient on and off because uh, heat management, Yeah, it's external, so it's easier to get on and off. Or flips the script and it's like light precip. I'm going to be taking the Houdini or what other piece on and off to protect the ambient. Is that like the only consideration or is there more to it? Yeah, no. Uh, So certainly convenience of layering. You know, I never want to get to the top of a ridge, have to strip a layer off, take the time, strip a layer off to put another layer on to reverse that process when I get moving again. Right. So that's not efficient. So there is there is that layering combination to meet whatever environmental conditions. But often and maybe more importantly, and you know, the Houdini might not be the best example just because it doesn't breathe super well. But uh, anytime you can put a layer that's got a barrier in it, so everything is basic as a Houdini to say as uh, advanced as you know, a windstopper jacket with maybe fleece on the inside, like a jet stream. The closer you can wear that 
to your base layer, i.e. your skin, the better it will breathe. And the reason is, let's see if I can exp I can explain it, but let's see if I can explain it simply. Uh, the warmest the the warmest temperature temperature you're going to find within a clothing system is right next to your skin, and so that's got the most energy to drive moisture through a barrier. So if I have a windstopper barrier Houdini directly on top of my base layer. And I've got, let's just say it's 98.6 inside and it's 60 degrees, the atmosphere, the, the, the temperature outside. Um, there's going to be really nothing between that base layer and the outside atmosphere. And it's just going to be, what is that, a uh, 30-some degree temperature range? It's going to drive that moisture through there super easy. Whereas if I have something in between, so let's say I have a base layer, an ambient, and the Houdini and it's also 60 degrees and it's 98.6 at my skin, by the time it goes through the base layer, through the ambient and gets to the inside of that membrane to get pushed through, it's not 98.6 degrees anymore. Let's just say it's 76 degrees. And so the, the force, the temperature gradient that it has to push through that membrane is less than if you wore it closer to your skin. So we're going way deep, which is why I enjoy the conversation. Probably lost the audience, but oh, this is great. Um, but there is absolutely a reason, a method to the madness to wear membranes closer to your skin if you can. And so I've talked about this and I probably confuse more people than not, but that's where I'm like, no, sometimes I wear a windstopper barrier and then an ambient, or sometimes I switch it and they're like, why would you ever do that? And when I was helping build this clothing system for special operations years ago, we called it the protective combat uniform. And it was, at the time, it was eight layers, and I think it was 24 individual pieces. And we had these really great, uh, we were working some of the best apparel brands in, in the industry, and we had some field testers that these brands would use. And these guys were all like, you know, professional backcountry skiers and alpine climbers and stuff like that. And so that they're the ones that kind of like opened my eyes, opened our eyes to to these methods, right? And it's like it's counterintuitive, but if you think about the physics, so to speak, and I'm certainly not a physics major, um, and you understand the problem you're trying to solve, then you understand how to wear things in combination to solve that problem. Um, and so in the military, we labeled our, you know, because we have to keep it simple, right? So it's layer one through eight. And I'm trying to communicate these these different various uh, uh, layering combinations to to students, and I'm like, yeah, but sometimes you wear layer four first and then put layer three over top, and that totally screwed everybody up because it was a numbering system. So I, you know, I've completely gone away from we we completely went away from a numbering system. Um, but if you if you just understand how moisture moves through a system, and you understand how your body loses heat, you can. You can then understand how to manage that moisture and manage that body heat to achieve whatever end you're trying to get to. Yeah. It's been helpful for me to remember as we talk about like sweat and moisture, my head immediately goes to like actual water, but to remember the concept of vapor, not just water, right? <laughs> the difference oh, yeah. there of like the transfer in um, even in a sleep system, for example, understanding how you can 
have heat escape and then understanding how condensation builds and things like that, that water vapor is often what's being transferred, not actual moisture, water moisture, if that makes I'm Correct. being very non-scientific yep. here. but Yeah, but through through evaporation, right? And through evaporative yeah. heat loss. I mean, you can apply the same principles we're talking about in a clothing system to, you know, living in a tent. So you and I are living in a tent. It's cold outside. We got the door zipped up. There's a little bit of snow inside. We're obviously breathing. We're cooking. You know, maybe we're not cooking in there, but we're eating in there. And then we wake up the next morning and the whole inside of the tent's frosted over. Or it's above freezing and the whole inside of the tent's coated in condensation. Well, it's the same thing. You haven't you haven't created an avenue for that for that vapor to get out of the tent, right? And so it hits the inside of that and condenses, and that's where you get either you know frost or or you know dew. Um, so it's the same principles you're trying to apply, either within a system or you know I mean. When you're in the tent, that whole thing is a, a, a sleeping system, right? And so you're like, how do I manage this? Well, you have to you have to ventilate it. You have to give it a way to get out. You have to, you know, you, you have to think through these things if you're if you're actually trying to, you know, if you know the problem you're trying to solve, then you can think through how to how to solve it. Yeah. You have a few more minutes, John. I don't want to hold you on time. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. No, are you kidding me? No, I'm, I'm digging <laughs> it. So as as long as you're okay, I'm okay. Yeah. No, I'm good. Um, I'm just, you know, part of what I selfishly love about the podcast is I get to scratch my own itch and deep dive on stuff. So another piece that I've used a lot, again, in the last year plus in a lot of different places and scenarios is the, the Sitka Kelvin light down jacket. Um, yes. And so I just want to hear more of the in-depth, like, obviously I've, I did research and, you know, read the materials and bought it, but, um, it's also a bit different of a concept with you know, different style of insulation than, you know, guys may be used to it being a blend and things like that. So can you kind of give me the the rundown <laughs> on the purpose of it and like all the technical expertise? Yeah. Yeah. No, the reason I'm laughing is, uh, you know, I, I, I talk about wanting to make things <laughs> easier and less complicated. And at the same time, I hate, I hate boring, right? I hate the, like, <laughs> like how many, Quite frankly, how many puffy jackets, how many more puffy jackets does the world need? Well, um, and I've, I've told people that it's like, if you're talking a pure down jacket, it's pretty easy to make comparisons. You look at, you look at the shell and like what it's made of, right? Like, is it a 10 D 20 D whatever? And then hopefully if, if you're sourcing from someone that's transparent, like they're going to show you the fill weight, right? So you have fill yeah. power, the fill weight. Yes, the fabric, and you can you can know like in a pure down jacket like what this piece is and the reason that it weighs a certain amount and how warm it's going to be based on the fill power and the fill weight. So it's like to me a straight down jacket is pretty simple to analyze on those few things. Yeah. Um, Assuming then, you understand fill power and fill weight, which I'm correct. not sure. I'm not sure. I, I don't know how many people. Uh, I just wrote an article for my newsletter on that because I'm just not sure how many people actually understand that. Correct. But, but yes, but you, but yes, you're right. So, so let's take, so let's, um, I, I, forgive me. I have to start high level. I love it. Um, so you have down and synthetic and then within down and synthetic, you have traditional down and then you have treated down. So treated down is essentially a down feather with say a durable water repellent treatment on it. Um, generally speaking, synthetic is always going to manage moisture better because it doesn't absorb water. And because of that, it's really not going to lose, quote, compressibility. 
So if you think of uh, a synthetic, so let's imagine uh, a, you know a general synthetic static insulation as a bunch of fibers that are woven together in a mat. And that mat is, you know, generally it's just say like 56 inches wide. And then it just goes on a, a giant spool. And then we roll it out. We cut the pieces we need. It's very stable and you put it in there. And so moisture is going to get trapped in there and it's going to eventually work its way through, but the moisture isn't going to compromise the loft. And the loft is vital in a static insulation piece to trap your body heat in those dead air pockets to uh, keep its warmth. So with down, down is an, an incredible, uh, an incredible uh, insulator, right? And and the reason it is because you've got all these little down plumes. Think of you know your traditional snowflake, and you you throw them all in there, and they naturally create all this great loft and. That loft and dead air traps heat, and it's super efficient. It's also incredibly lightweight and very compressible. But the problem with traditional down is that moisture is kind of its nemesis. It's its Achilles heel. So if too much moisture gets in that garment, those down feathers begin to lose their loft and lay down. And when they do that, there goes your dead air, i.e. there goes the warmth of the jacket. So treated down... It, it resists that moisture better than regular down. Um, and, you know, I'm not just as a general statement. And I, you know, I've seen, I've probably done it myself. You know, the thing where you have a little, you have the little beaker and you have water in the beaker and you have treated down feathers and they float on top of the water and you shake it up and down and look, the down feathers don't get wet. And it's true, right? It's not a magic trick. Uh, but with even treated down, the problem with it is compression now. So water and compression with treated down will get you to the same end state as regular traditional down and water, right? So compressibility will begin to will mat out those feathers. Anytime you lose loft, you lose warmth. So what we did with the Kelvin light down is twofold. We worked with Primaloft to build, and at the time it was proprietary to us. I'm not sure it is anymore, but we built... Uh, a couple different, uh, we'll call it fill powers, right? Fill powers of down, but it was a down blend. And so it was a treated down feather, DWR treated down feather, and it was blended with different percentages of synthetic insulation. And I believe the one, I, I should know this, it's either 90-10 or 80-20. And I've used them in a couple different things, so I'm not sure exactly where, but it's 80% down, let's say, and 20% synthetic, it might be 90-10. So what does that do? Well, the down gives you all this great loft and weight and compressibility and all these little dead air spaces for heat to get trapped. And it's got that durable, durable water repellent treatment to resist moisture. But again, we talked about the downfall of that. So by blending in some synthetic insulation, I like to use the term, it acts as some scaffolding to help those down feathers if and when enough ins uh, moisture is introduced in the insulation to kind of keep keep the down separated a little bit and keep some of its loft. So what we are trying to do is, is trying to take the best almost of both worlds and blend them together. And so we did in this 900 fill power 
down that we use in the Kelvin light. But the other thing you have to understand about down is one, it's incredibly expensive because it's a natural byproduct of the poultry industry. So, uh, you know, there's only so much to go around every year, especially the high quality stuff. And also it, it doesn't resist compression very well. So, you know, if you sit, if you have a pair of down pants on, you sit down, wherever you're sitting down, it compresses that down. It compresses that dead air. So I'm like, well, geez, why put expensive down in areas that we know are going to be compressed? So under the arms, I don't need big puffy arms. So they're always going to be down at my side. I'm going to compress it down anyway. So we patterned in some synthetic insulation that really is, we'll call it compression resistant for, for this discussion. Uh, and then we patterned it in a couple different places, which is the bottom hem of the jacket in the back. And then the seat of the pants, because if you got pants on at some point, you're going to be sitting down, you're going to be laying down, uh, you know, my arms are going to be down at my side. So we chose to try to pattern in or body map the right insulations for the right parts of the garments to get the performance we were looking for. So the blend of down and synthetic and what form is that synthetic? So you talked about earlier about the big 56 inch wide and, you know, I'm familiar with the, the concept of like synthetic insulation, these big baffles, right? Like in a sleeping bag, but yep. am I missing it? How, like, what is the physical structure of the synthetic? That's so have you ever heard of blown? Yeah. Have you ever heard of blown insulation? So kind sure. of like they blow insulation into the attic of your house. Yeah, I did it. It was it's, terrible. It, yeah, it's kind of <laughs> sim- so the so the synthetic blend, the synthetic part of the blend is kind of something like that. Okay. So I actually have a box of it in my garage. So it's loose, right? It's loose. You can't even yeah. tell it's there, Got right? It. So it it operates. It I don't want. It's not microscopic, but it operates at a at a smaller level. Okay. Um. Yeah. Got it. And yeah. so that so basically anything to do to try to improve the wet performance of a down is really what we we're trying to do right. or what Primo Primaloff was trying to do. Yeah. And those combined this natural down with this combined synthetic combined is a sim- equivalent to a 900 fill power natural. Yeah. Down? It's a, it's a 900 fill down. And then when we blend okay. it with the synthetic, I think it comes in at like an, uh, don't quote me, but I think it's an eight, eight or eight fifty fill power, something like that. Got so it. you're blend, you know, you kind of blend down, mm-hmm. pun intended, I guess. You kind of blend down the fill power by putting some synthetic in there. So yeah, it's like an eight eight fifty. Um, but you start, we start with a nine hundred fill down to get there, or they do. Yeah, cool. Yeah, those are the like the, some of the specs that I was like, not I didn't fully understand, but I used the jacket a ton and loved it. <laughs> yeah, it's a nice yeah. jacket, and I think if if most people wouldn't even know that. I don't think most people would even know that uh, it wasn't like quote pure down, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the 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 it's absolutely negligible compressibility or weight or weight penalty, right? It, it, for for that pure product. Now the Kelvin light down, like I said, we have some some synthetic mapped in there, but e- even then, I don't think a lot of people would would know. Um, interestingly enough, you know, we talk about if if you don't mind me uh, going on a slight tangent here, you bet. Uh, but, you know, we talked about active insulation and then this static insulation, what, you know, we refer to as puffies. And so when you're building those two products 
And I think you touched on this in your answer in that podcast. And you said, you know, active insulation basically doesn't have an inner and outer face. So you remove one of those, i.e. the inner face. Mm -hmm. And so just naturally moisture is going to move through there more efficiently and you're going to have better breathability and all that's true. Uh, what I wanted to say to you when you were, when you were commenting on that was, and when you build a static insulation piece, because of the nature of the insulation, uh, synthetic is stable enough, but it's not stable enough that you could use it, you know, unlined, right. Or without a, without an inner layer. And certainly you couldn't do that with down, um, that one, you're naturally building in more, you're slowing down the, the breathability and the moisture transport, which you want to, cause this is a static piece. You're trying to be stingy with body heat. Um, but depending on the insulations, even synthetic, but especially in down, you have to select textiles that are, I mean, they're literally called down proof, right? Or they're such a tight enough knit mm -hmm. that they will not allow the feathers to spurt, uh, you know, to squeak through and, and just come out. And you've, you know, we've all seen down jackets where a feather comes through here, there, um, you can also get that with synthetic insulation where you get fiber migration that comes through. So when you build an active hybrid insulation piece like the Ambient, I've got a face on there that's got a 40, 40 CFM face. So 40 standard cubic feet a minute. It's like super breathable. I couldn't use that face as much as I wanted to on uh, like say a Kelvin Aerolite, which is a synthetic or a Kelvin light down, which is a down, because it wouldn't hold the insulation in there. It would migrate through. It would poke through because that face is so open. So you use a tighter knit face that locks in that insulation, but that's exactly what you're trying to achieve with a static insulation piece is you want to you want to have that as a governor so that as your body heat moves away and gets trapped in that loft of the static insulation piece, it's not moving through that super fast because we're trying to manage that body heat and that body heat is created by food and fuel, right? Which we have a limited resource of in the backcountry. So you want those faces to be tighter knit. So, you know, that's one of the reasons when I see people that are making these quote active hybrid insulation pieces, but they're using a long staple fiber mat synthetic insulation with two layers of, of fabric. And then the fabric's not that breathable. It's like, well, really what you're doing is just making a lighter weight version of a puffy um mm -hmm. so you know but there's they're two very different static and active insulation are two very different pieces and that's why i personally like using those two terms because i i think it and and you you know you tell me because you had a, a pretty uh you know good point of view on it that you know i, I hope i'm not confusing people by using those two p uh two two descriptors but but i think they're two totally different pieces and I would argue you need both of them uh, within your clothing system. Yeah. And I think the the oversimplification has been that people can market active insulation as just being, as you said, like a lighter weight puffy and that us as consumers tend to think that way, right? Like what is active insulation? Oh, it's just something that's not as warm. And it's like, well, that's yeah, not, right. that's not what it is. Yeah. Um, it, it needs to go beyond that if you're trying to, you know, achieve the purpose of true active insulation. It's not just a less warm puffy, right? 
Um, yeah, a- 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 absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So if I took an ambient and I, I put it in a bucket of water and I got it soaked as much as I could and I pulled it out, uh, the first thing you notice is it doesn't absorb a ton of water, but it does absorb some, right? So you'd want to wring that out. And I could put that on directly over top of a base layer and I could start hiking up a trail and my body heat is going to dry that that active insulation piece out be it a hybrid insulation or you know even a we'll call it a heavyweight fleece you can't do the same thing with the static insulation piece it's not going to work it's not built for that type of performance it's built to stand around trap your body heat and very be very stingy about giving it up to the atmosphere right it's intended to trap moisture trap body heat and keep you warm so i mean just the performance metrics of those two pieces alone are wholly different and and really perform two different tasks even though there's an installation modifier at the end of that right mm-hmm. yeah this is great stuff john i feel i could talk to you all day um <laughs> I well hope I, that... I hope i'm not i hope i'm not going too deep I, I mean you certainly i listen to some of your podcasts i mean you certainly sound like a person who enjoys that but yeah. you know I, it's not like i know your audience that well but um you know i think we need to have these conversations more more often because you know it's going to help all of us just be better hunters and have a great and by better hunters i mean just being able to stay out there longer in inclement conditions and and just have a better enjoyable time and probably be safer while we're doing it yeah and just to be yeah all of that and at the same time to be a more informed consumer to know how to choose the pieces that can then help you do that right whether that's from sitka or not because one thing i'll say i've appreciated about you and like some of your stuff is you're you're quick to talk about the roles and functions of pieces and say where a sitka piece does that well and then at the same time also throw out something like hey the houdini or this black diamond piece or whatever fits that similar role right um you know and you know that comes through i've seen it through uh your newsletter and stuff which i guess would be a great time to tell people about but yeah from storms it's not like you're only just touting this giant sitka commercial yeah well i you know i really appreciate you saying that mark because i mean really that's that's all I really want to do is, is educate. And like I said, on a selfish level, I, I want to continue to push the boundaries of of what's possible with some of this technical apparel. And you know, I can't do that. Sika can't do that and, unless the, you know, the the consumer in the hunting market becomes more educated. But at the end of the day, we all have personal tastes for different things. And so, instead of trying to constantly be a sales pitch to people. I think what we need to do is, you know, because you clearly have, uh, you know, a ton of knowledge and experience here is we need to educate people, you know, through this podcast or whatever to make the best decisions for them. And so if somebody, and I, I answer questions like this all the time, but somebody says, hey, you know, I've got brand X or I've got brand Y or, hey, you know, I didn't buy your piece. I bought, you know, this other piece. How do I wear it? And I'm like, great. I, no matter what you have, I, you could show up in a pair of blue jeans, a cotton shirt, and a trash bag, and I will tell you how to get the best performance out of what you have. Now, I'm not going to BS you and tell you it's going to be the best performance of you know the greatest technical clothing system out there today, 
But whatever you have, whatever you can afford, whatever brand you, you're associated with, wherever you hunt, whatever makes you feel comfortable, whatever your knowledge level is, we can get you to utilize that to its highest performance. And I think that needs to happen more than just constantly trying to sell people on a specific new technology or new piece. I think that will naturally come as as consumers in the hunting industry get more educated and they start to try stuff. And listen, I think I make the best technical clothing systems in the world, but if you don't agree and you're going to do something, wear something else, but you understand how to wear what you have and get the most performance out of it for, for your, you know, to meet your expectations, then I'm uh, quite frankly, I'm, I'm, I'm just a happy guy about that. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to sweat it. Great stuff. I hope that this podcast helped do that. I think it did in, in some ways. I know we covered some ground that probably people hadn't thought of, or at least they learned from. So hopefully this is just uh, one small piece of that. Yeah. I hope they heard some things. I, I think you've talked about them, but I hope they heard some things maybe they hadn't heard or just heard them again or heard them a different way to just get people thinking. I think we just, I think people just need to think through it. Like I said, we've all made it a little more complicated than it, than it needs to be. I might not have helped that today or not, but <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, tell us, uh, tell us about knowledge from storms and any other places that you would just encourage people to check out. Yeah. So, um, really great timing. I, I wish, you know, uh, I wish I could talk about a few of these pieces. I mean, just, just to get a um, slight tangent, but you know, we're in what still winter really 2023 and I'm already working on fall 2025. So like we're well, well ahead of, of everything. Um, so if you talked to me long enough, I'd probably spill the beans on something. But um, <laughs> so I wish I could talk about that. But no, it's a it's a good time. So uh, I've got a, a website called Knowledge from Storms, uh, which you know it's a free educational platform for really anybody doing anything outdoors. It's not just hunting, but that's kind of one of the vehicles I use to talk through it. Uh, I've got an Instagram channel at Jay Barklow. Try to post one video a week of some kind of educational content got a youtube channel called knowledge from storms which i'm posting more videos to and then we're probably within two weeks two and a half weeks of launching my first course through a new platform called outdoor class and so my course is called backcountry mission planning and it's really taken 30 years of experience and putting it into a 16 chapter course to essentially help people plan and prepare and train and test uh to go out and and uh and go big game hunting and and kind of get the most out of what they've got so not not you know it's not e-scouting i don't even i think i talk about e-scouting once but it's you know everything from mindset and training to crisis nutrition altitude considerations weather factors um gear selection the whole bit so i'm really excited to get that out there um, so yeah, thanks for asking. Oh man. Thanks for putting it out there. I, uh, I personally benefit from it. So I'm, I'm glad to share it and appreciate that you do it. You have, you know, decades of experience. We didn't do an introduction. Um, but, uh, decades of experience that makes you an asset to share all this. So thanks for doing it with our audience. Yeah. Well, thank you. And I, I appreciate the asset comment. Cause that's, that's really all I want to be. Well, that's a wrap guys. I feel like I say this often, but Gosh dang it, I mean it again. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. So many helpful takeaways um, and just more knowledge, more capability 
to help you in your experiences in the future. No matter where you're going or what you're wearing, I hope you learned something from this conversation. Once again, check out the links in the show description to learn more from John, whether you want to follow him on Instagram, sign up for his Knowledge from Storms newsletter, which I would highly recommend. Check out his course, check out the new piece from Sitka, uh, see what some of my favorite Sitka pieces are. Um, Again, don't wear them exclusively, hashtag not sponsored, all that stuff. But again, more links in the description if you want to check it out. As always, appreciate you tuning in. If you have anything for us, send an email to podcast at exomontgear.com. And if you can help us with a minor thing for the show, it may seem trivial, but go leave a rating or review in whatever podcast app you're using, or just tell a friend about the show. We would appreciate that, and it truly would help us out. Thank you for doing it. We'll talk to you soon.